0: on the same page with me this morning. I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture, and you may want to follow it, or you may want to write it down to read later. But you won't be able to read it as I read it unless you have your Bible. And so how many do? Here we are. Oh, it's getting better and better and better. Bring your Bible when you come to the battle. It's the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, interrupt, pause, refocus, forget everything else. Remember it, but forget it right now. And let me preach to you a message that God is a good God. How many of you woke up sometime this week in the middle of the night and the thought came to you, is God really here? Does God really care? Is He interested in me? I know that doesn't happen to you all the time, but sometimes it does. And sometimes when you're dealing with situations, matters that produce a battle, and you're confronting the enemy... He begins to tell you, you're in this alone. All that you've been hearing about God caring and God being with you and God looking out for you and God planning for you and watching over you is just a myth. And sometimes, because of the difficulty of the circumstances you face, it's hard not to listen to that. And it's especially hard to refute it and declare that the opposite is the truth. But I want to give you some basis for that today. Some basis for knowing that God loves you. God cares for you. God is watching over you. God is looking out for you. God's hand is stretched forth as a covering over you. Because God is a good God. Many years ago, I heard someone use this phrase, God is a good God. He was a well-known evangelist, and some other preacher started to attack that saying, God is a good God. And they started saying, well, yeah, we have someone going around saying God is a good God. Not that God is a superlative God. Not that God is a majestic God. Not that God is an eternal God. Not that God is supreme above all things and superior to everything in the universe. But my friends, when you say God is a good God, you're not saying He's an average God. You're saying that His nature is that nature of love and care and compassion, concern for us in all of our lives and in all of our ways. God. Is good. And in that goodness he is superior. In that goodness he is supreme. In that goodness he is lifted above all others. In that goodness he is eternal. In that goodness he is never changing. Always the same. God loves us. God cares for us. God wants the best for us. Because God is a good God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is what the English Standard Version says. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? There are those who believe that the only way God can get our attention is to smack us in the faith. The only way he can lead us to repentance is by shaking us over the fires of hell. The only way he can cause us to serve him is by striking a furor of fear in our hearts. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Apostle Paul wrote under inspiration that God, and we should see this, is kind tolerant, and patient with us. Why? Because He loves us. Because He cares about us. And then He asked this question, does this mean nothing to you? In fact, it ought to mean everything to us. It ought to be the superior message that we live with vibrating in our hearts every day. God cares for us. He is wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient in every way pouring out abundant blessings on us because he loves us. And yes, that does mean something to us. And this is what God is doing, desiring to bring us to a place where we renounce sin, we turn away from transgressions, and follow the directions of the Lord. And in doing that, we give up sin and adopt righteousness in our lives. We're transformed from darkness to light, from children to of the darkness to children of the light, from followers of Satan or evil or wickedness and sin, into followers of righteousness, glory, heavenly, renouncing all else, and standing in the holiness of God. The goodness of God is intended to bring us to that place. So we don't have to be brought into salvation because of God striking us down. We are brought into salvation because we know God, so good to us, wants to lift us up. So then what about the sinful condition of the world? I know there are a lot of people thinking that right now. If God is so good, why does he let the world suffer under what it suffers? Why is there hunger and famine? Why is there murder and hate filling up? Various places of the world. Why has God allowed that to happen? One thing you can be sure of, God is not responsible for the horrors of the world. He's not responsible for ISIS. He's not responsible for the beheading of Christians. And while some people may say that the works of nature, when they're, they don't ever say the works of nature when the sun is shining and the sky is blue and the beauty of the world is glowing around us. They don't ever say that's a work of God. But let a hurricane strike. Let disaster hit. And the newspapers like, an act of God. And everybody says, it's not an act of God. The fact is that God has not maintained the control of this world. He owns this world, but has not maintained the control of this world because he gave that into the hands of man who turned it over into sin. God is not responsible for the sin that's in the world because God did not create sin. God created man in righteousness, and the purpose of God was for man to live righteously from the time of his creation until the time of the end of the plan of God. But that didn't happen with the federal head of our race, the human race, fell into sin and brought sin into the world and sinned into the hearts of mankind, and sinned into the hearts of all the generations following Adam and Eve. God didn't create sin. He created righteousness and the possibility that one could live righteously forever and never contend with sin. But disobedience and refusing to accept the plan of God and rebellion always comes against God's plan. And sometimes, in a temporary way, that rebellion and that sin controls the day. The time will come when all of that changes. But the world that we're living in right now is not the world that God is controlling except by his eternal plan, which will finally be fulfilled. The Bible says that today the prince of the world is in control of the events of the world. Eventually, all of those events will come together to fulfill the plan of God. But what I'm trying to tell you now is that the things that are happening in the world today that are sorrowful, that are saddening, that are heartbreaking, those things are not the product of the fruit of God's tree of righteousness. Those things are the product of the sin actions that came about from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God was disobeyed and rebelled against. So he didn't make king kill Abel. He didn't cause the sins of Sodom. He didn't cause all the unrighteousness of the wicked kings of Israel of the past. In fact, he brought judgment on them. Time and time again, he brought judgment on them. In fact, God brought judgment through one great event on the whole human race at the time when he set the flood, and Noah and his family were saved in the ark. God is saying to everyone by all of these statements that he's not responsible for sin and he didn't create sin. God stands against that. And ultimately, ultimately, in the final plan of God, when the final chapter of this book of life is written, when the final testimony is given, when the final words are spoken, and all of this comes to a culmination and a conclusion. The answer is going to be Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ is King of Kings, and Jesus Christ is ruling over heaven and earth. And it will change. It will change. And so what you and I want to know is where we stand today. And where I want you to know that you stand is this. God is your Father. And He's a good Father. I know that we believe in a sense God's the Father of the whole human race because of His creation. But in a different sense, God is the Father of individuals who put their trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, and believe in His plan of salvation, which has changed life and changed the expectation of eternity for those who believed. And for those people, God is understood and recognized That's a good, good father. And so if you say he's such a good father, then why do things happen that I don't like? Same reason they've always happened in your life that you didn't like. When your father told you things you didn't want to hear. So we got your earthly father now. Your earthly father told you things you didn't want to hear. Things you didn't like. Things you didn't agree with. And things you didn't want to live up to. And some of you had a lot of conflict in your life because of those things. So you could look at your Father God and recognize that He is telling you and has told you some things that you didn't like. He said to you some things you should do that you didn't want to do. And maybe you decided you wouldn't do them. You'd find out if it really was true that you needed to do them. If you've been at it very long, you found out you need to do what he tells you to do. So, a good father who loves us above all, a good father will practice and and express discipline toward us. And I know that we would rather not hear this. But if we're going to hear the whole truth about our relationship with God, we have to hear it because the Bible is so full of it. And so your Father, God, Father God, has some disciplinary things that need to be exercised in your life And if you don't let the discipline of God prevail in your life in righteousness, you will find that God knows better than you did, and you should have done what God told you to do, because the results will always be calamitous and disastrous if you don't follow God's plan, even if it's God's plan of discipline. Amen, Pastor! (laughs) Have you ever been disciplined by God? If you're God's child, you have. And I'll tell you, this is what the Bible says. My son, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 12 now. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Take it carefully under advisement, it says. Nor be weary when reproved by Him. Don't be so weary you're ready to give up when He reproves you and says you're not on the right path. You're not going the right way. You're not doing the right thing. Has God told you lately you're not doing the right thing? If you're listening to Him, He probably has. For the Lord disciplines, I'm reading, still reading from the Scripture, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Now I want to say something at this point that I believe needs a, a point of clarification. There are all kinds of ways that God exercises His discipline upon us. But striking us down with illness is not one of them. Beating us up, with disabilities is not one of them. That happens against the plan of God. And that's why we pray against it and stand against it. If we believed it were God's discipline, it would be wrong for us to pray for recovery from it. But knowing that's not God's disciplinary plan, we can pray to overcome such illnesses that come against us. But God still... Is practicing discipline in our lives, and you have to recognize when you're hearing from God about what you should change, the direction that you should go instead of the direction that you're going. And this is a hard thing. This is harder than putting up with illness sometimes. God says that you're going in the wrong way, in the wrong direction. And some people just decide, I'll go ahead and choose my own way. Without listening to what God says, it's always leads you to the wrong destination when you make your own choices of what way you're going to walk in this life in this world and not listen to what God's telling you that he wants you to do. Because God has your best interests at heart. God has your best interests. He wants what's best for you. And you want what's best for you. The trouble is, sometimes what you think is best for you is not really correct because you don't see the whole picture, and God does. God knows what's best for you while you just think you know. I don't know how good you know. I don't <laughs> so, so I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12 again. Those two verses I just read from Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a few more verses from Hebrews chapter 12 You can write it down or follow with me if your Bible if you want to. This is Hebrews 12, starting at verse 7. I just read verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read these other verses for you, starting at verse 7. I'm reading from the Word now. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters, of course. For what son or daughter is there whom his Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. might not have respected them at the time, while that whipping was lammed on you, or all that, whatever you mean, <laughs> whatever. I'm not talking about corporal punishment here now, but I know. I do. I'm going to just tell you quickly this, about how, how God does things, how parents do things. I... I don't, I don't believe it's good to go knocking your children around, slapping them up against the wall and throw them in the corner. I don't think that's a good thing. But I will tell you this. There's sometimes that the only way to really reinforce the rule of the house, what's right and what's wrong and what we accept here and what we don't have here, the only way to do that is by applying the board of knowledge to the seat of wisdom. this we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and life for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them earthly fathers but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant that's a true statement isn't it have you ever been disciplined one at the time that it was going on you thought, boy, this is pleasant? This is nice. Whoop me a little bit more. <laughs> or oh, whatever it may be. Give me some more punishment. No, it isn't pleasant when it's happening. It can be painful rather than pleasant. But later, the Bible says, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your Hands, and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one shall see the lord but that's the practice of discipline that god imposes on us and he does it for our good God is never going to do anything that is intended for your harm. He's never going to bring anything that is intended to be detrimental to you. He's never going to bring anything to you that is supposed to hurt you. The slight pain of being brought into conformity with Him is way overshadowed. By the glory and the power of His presence when victory is realized. And we have the fullness of all that God has planned for us. He's a good, good Father. And and God is planning. God is planning the very best for us. God has a plan for your life. I am sometimes amazed and some things that God says about me and his relationship or my relationship with him. I'm challenged in my faith sometimes to accept all that that is. And yet I know that the Bible is true. I know that when God says he's got a good plan for me, he has. I know that when it says he's got the right plan for you, he does. I know that when God says he's in control, in charge of our lives, when we submit to him and he will bring us to a good place, to a place of victory, to a place of overcoming, I know that he will. I know that if God doesn't do something today that we're looking for now, we can expect it to happen tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow and we continue to walk with him, it will happen because God never breaks his word. God is a father who never breaks a promise. And what God has said said to us, and promised to us, God will do, because he's a good, good father. I've never, I have never, in all of my life, in all of my life, I've never planned anything to harm one of my children. I have never designed anything that would be, uh, that I knew would be bad for them. I've never set out to destroy anything in their lives, anything good. I've always planned for the best for them. Always tried to produce the best for them. Always tried to get them to walk the path that I knew would produce the best thing in their lives for them. And I think any one of my three children would say to you that's true. I don't think one single one of them would say that there was ever a time, I may have been wrong sometimes, that's the difference between God and me, Sometimes I'm wrong. I know that's hard to believe. And I preach that it's not true. But never when I get in my most honest moments, I know that's true. But God knows everything that's best for us. And I will tell you, if I want what's best for my children, God wants best for all of his children. He wants the very best for us. If I had a good plan for my children, for them to succeed in life, God has a plan for every one of us to have spiritual success and victory in our lives. If you want what's best for your children, and you want that right now today, right now in this service, if you have children, you want what's best for them. You're Sometimes you chafe under what they're living through right now, what they're going through. You're unhappy and brokenhearted about it because it isn't where you want them to be. It isn't where you want them to be because they're not in the plan of God, and you have wanted them to be there. You want them to have what's best for them. You want them to know God and love God and serve God. Of course you do. Because that's the nature of a parent. And pray that it will come to pass, that God will bring that into fruition, that it will happen. But put yourself down as a comparison with God. If you want what's best for your children, surely, surely God only wants what's best for us. He only wants wants what's good for you and for me. Because he treats us as his children. And the discipline of the Lord that may come into our lives is for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring us into conformity with his will, to walk in his righteousness until we exercise and appreciate and achieve holiness, which is the brand that God has placed upon his children to be known to the world. That's what came out of Hebrews chapter 12, what I've just preached to you. So, so, so to say that God has a good plan for you is a, is a powerful statement for us. I think Jeremiah 29, 11 has become one of my favorite verses of Scripture over the last few years. It has become popularly known more than it was before. It has had more emphasis on it. Jeremiah twenty seven twenty nine 29, verse 11 is where it says this, For I know that this is God speaking to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God, our good God, has a good plan for every one of us. His plan for us is blessings and victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. of that, I suggest that you read in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139 verses 13-17 through 17, he says that God knew you and loved you before you were born. God knew you and loved you before you were born. He said that before you were knit together in your mother's womb he knew you He knew your name before your birth certificate was signed. He knew your name before, before your parents decided what to name you. And and he knew what your life was going to be, and he loved you anyway. God knows our name. You know, God knows more about us than all the rest of us know about us. My grandson, Trent, who's going to be 15 this month. He's going to be, hard to believe he's going to be 15 this month. He is the son of my daughter who lives in Maryland. Their only child, Trent. He's named after me. I tell you, he's got the best name in the family. He's got my middle name for his middle name. And that's an achievement because just right up to the time that Trent was being born, his nursery was all decked out in pink. And just up, just, just before he was born, his name was Emma Grace. I'm sure glad they changed that, aren't you? Because they thought they were going to have a girl. All the doctors had told them through almost nine months that they were going to have a girl. So they planned for Emma Grace. There's a little girl that comes here sometimes. Her name is Emma Grace, and I talked to her about that. I love her name. But, but just before he was born, one doctor said, well, you're going to have a nice, healthy boy. And my daughter said, oh, no, no, I'm having a girl. He said, oh, no, not this baby you're not. Maybe next time or not, this baby's a boy. If you don't believe it, look at this autograph, And they agreed with it. It was a boy. So now she's scrambling. What am I going to do? I've got all these pink things. I don't even have a name for it. I can't call him Emma Grace. Love the name, but don't want to put it on a boy. So she said, i got to change that. So what shall I do? And they thought about it and considered it. I'm not even sure how they came up with Trent. but she called me one day. And she said, Dad, I know we name everybody in our family William. You know, we've got Jackson William, Joshua William, William Jr., William Sr., everybody, all the boys in this family got named William somewhere, except for Trent. And Kim said, I want at least a little bit different, but I want you to be honored, Dad. I want you always to remember <laughs> that you're his grandfather. And so she said, Is it all right if my middle name is Powell, by the way? I don't know why. I have no explanation for that. It's just that that's what it is. It always has been. So <laughs> I didn't know it until I was about 25, but when I finally found out, I thought it was it's too late to do anything about it. So, that was so but she said, I want to name him Trent Powell. Is that all right with you? And I told her how honored I was, how delighted I was. And that's his name right now, Trent Powell Wilkins is his name. And uh, I love him dearly, and, and I love all of my grandchildren, all of my children, and I would not any one of them. Every time I plan something for them, I think and I believe and expect that I'm planning something good for them. So if I would treat my children, my grandchildren, my family that way, why would we think for even a fleeting second that God would treat any one of us differently from that? God loves you more than I can ever love my family because His love is greater than any I could ever express. And if God loves you all that much, God wants to do good things for you because He's a good God and a good Father. So so He set you apart before you were born. He knew you and loved you before you were born. And I want to give you a real confirmation of this. I don't know if you've ever discovered this in the Scripture. I remember the day since I've been here in this church. sometimes I know there are Scriptures I've read hundreds of times. And I don't exaggerate. I know I've read them a hundred times. He asked me for certain things in the book of Galatians. And I can tell you certain places that uh, that, uh, God forbid that I should glory serve the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Galatians has always been a powerful book for me. And one day, a few, I guess a few months ago, maybe maybe even a couple of years ago by now, I was reading Galatians and somebody had asked me a question. If God has a good plan for us and wants us to follow him and live for him, why did it take me so long to come to Jesus? And why did I have to live such a sinful, profligate life until I came, and came to Jesus? Can you answer that for me, Pastor? And I said, I'll get you an answer. Didn't have an idea what to say. But I was reading this over the next few days. I was reading Galatians. And I read what Paul said. Now, here's a man who persecuted the church, who hated Christians, hated Christ, hated everything to do with Jesus, was against Him in every possible way. And one day he's on the road to Damascus, and the Spirit of God strikes him down and reveals Jesus Christ to him in a mighty revelation. And Paul is referring to that when he wrote this to the Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said... He, God, set me apart before I was born. Now this man, who was such an enemy of Jesus, was set apart before he was born. God set him apart before he was born. And then he called me by his grace. When I read that, I thought, "Wow! if that's true of the Apostle Paul, And he knew that God set him apart before he was born and then called him by his grace. I can accept that as God's plan for me. And I can go back to this person who asked me that question that I couldn't answer at the time. And now I've got the answer. God's will for us is his will, not our will. And there's a time, an encounter planned that God has set in the calendar of your life. And at that time, at that day, at that hour, at that moment... Where you are, whatever you're involved in, there's a time that God is going to come and speak to you. And he's going to declare to you, I will change your life. Now I will take over your life. Give it to me. That's what Saul had to do in order to become Paul. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And when that encounter comes into your life, that God who loved you before you were born, that God who had a plan for you before you were born, and you lived all that time as a part of God's plan, in sin and away from Him, and you didn't know it, and I didn't know it. So all that time, all we had to do when the time came that God spoke to us and said, Here I am, I'm ready now to claim your life if you'll give it to me. All we have to do is say, Yes, Lord, and He takes a care of all the past. He obliterates all the past, erases it with a great erasure of grace and mercy. And then we are changed and made new creations in Christ. New children of God brought from death to life and made like to our Savior in righteousness and glory and victory. So he set, he set Paul apart before he was born and then at the right time, at the right moment, he called him. He called him by his grace. Thank God there's always a chance. Always a chance. some Many times second chances with God. God loves us so much, and He's a good Father. He's a good God. In all things, He's a good God. And you and I need to recognize that as we plan what we're going to do in our lives, plan what we're going to do in our job, plan what we're going to do in our church, plan what we're going to do in every way in our service. We need to say to Him, Lord, what will you have me to do? Because I know your plan is better than mine. I'm better off in your will than following my own will. I'm better off where you put me. If it seems contrary to the circumstances of the moment, nevertheless, if I am hearing the voice of God, if I'm following the direction of the Lord, then I know I'm on the right path. I know I'm going the right way. I know I'm going in the direction of a spiritual life of success that God has planned for me. If I hear God speaking and I obey and I listen, I'm going to receive the best. And how do I know that? Because God has only a good plan for me. (laughs) Because God only has a good plan for you. And you can sit and say, Pastor, after all you've preached, I still don't understand why I... And I will just tell you this. Every single thing in your life, doesn't have an answer right now. There's no specific answer. I cannot tell you why a certain thing happened. I can't tell you why you lost a child. I can't tell you why you went through a great suffering. I can't tell you. I, I cannot. But what I can tell you is that there is God who is your Father. That God loves you. And that God only wants what's best for you. And He will give you His best if you will walk with Him. You may along the way have some issues, struggles, difficulties, discipline. All of us do. But if you will follow God and his plan, you will come to the place of the greatest blessing, as Paul did. When he emerged from that sandy road, dusty road, stood up, having fallen in the dirt, knocked off his animal, by the power of God, he stood up. And he said, Lord, who art thou? And Jesus revealed himself, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And then Paul believed it, accepted it, acknowledged it, and said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And that's where you are today and where I am today with our Father. Father, show me what you would have me to do. And I will do it. Because I know that your way is always, 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 your way is always the best way for me. It doesn't matter how old you are today. If you've never received Christ, it doesn't matter how long you've gone in your life without receiving Him. That doesn't matter. Accept Him today. I know there's some of you sitting here who accepted Jesus. I look around and see people who have accepted Jesus in, in, in the latter stages of your life. Really, you really came to the Lord Jesus. You came to know Him. Some of you, I, I, I know, I, I, I'm, I'm just looking around thinking about people that I know, I know. I know every one of you here with maybe one or two exceptions. I know a lot more about some of you than I know about others. Because I've been around you and been with you longer. I've experienced it. But, but I see people that I had to talk to and explain to you that Once you've received Jesus, you're his child, you're God's child. You don't have to keep on doing it. you just got to accept that by faith. And right from that point, you're going to grow. Things are going to change. You're going to develop. You're going to move forward. You're going to question as you go. But keep this one thing in mind. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. God is my father. And I will live in victory because God has a good plan for me. God has a victorious plan for me. And in God, I will overcome because he says I will. When God says it, it's true. And when God declares it, it will not change. We are living on the promises of God, the promises of God's word. And that promise, those promises assure us and guarantee us a victory. Amen. Amen. Everybody stand with me, please. Everybody stand with me.